Yeah. It can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace, at least. And a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans haven't got a ghetto. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Community Spread. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. On the pod today, we have some very special guests with us. We have Miss Betty Sawyer and Susie Daly. And Miss Betty is has quite the resume. And I'm going to give you the pared down version of her resume here. Uh, Miss Betty is the president of the Ogden branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP. She's the co-founder of Project Success Coalition, which is a community learning center. Uh, it's a grassroots nonprofit that's focused on education, health disparities, cultural arts, youth leadership, and advocacy. She's an inaugural member of the Ogden Diversity Commission. She's the founder of the Utah Black Roundtable and serves on the board of the Ogden Civic Action Network, Utah Board of Juvenile Justice, and the U.S. Civil Rights Commission's Utah State Advisory Committee. Wow, that was a lot, and I'm not done. She is uh, currently works at Weber State University uh, in access and diversity as the coordinator for community education. So, I mean, advocacy uh, is Miss Betty's life work. She has been doing this a long, long time, and I'm really excited for you guys to hear some of the things that she is currently working on to help better uh, make Utah, make Ogden a more equitable and just place for uh, people to live in, particularly those in our communities of color. We also have on the pod Susie Daly, and I've got to know Susie just a little bit in the last couple months, and she's just been somebody that has really, really impressed me. She is the president, uh, well, was the president of the Friends of Salt Lake City Public Library. She served on that board for uh, more than 17 years. She also is the owner of Grounds for Coffee, uh, which is a coffee shop that has uh, been in Ogden here and has kind of been a staple of our community for a, a, a long, long time. And so she knows a thing or two about uh, growing community, about bringing community together. Uh, in that role, she uh, ran the Ogden Arts Festival for um, 12 seasons, so a long time running that. And she's just someone that I get the impression is not afraid to uh, get out of her comfort zone and, and learn and discover new things. And uh, when she's passionate about something, really goes for it. And I it, like being on a podcast for that matter. So we are really grateful to have her on the podcast today. So the show is a, a little bit different today. Usually we just, we kind of highlight someone's life and we go through and we tell and listen to their story, which we are going to have Miss Betty back on to hear her story because I know just a titch of it and it's incredible. We're definitely going to have her back on the pod because it's a really important story. But there's some things happening locally here in Ogden uh, that Miss Betty and the NAACP and a few other groups are involved with that are trying to help. And, and, and again, they revolve around police reform. And this has been a topic that's come up on the podcast before. But we want to highlight this because it's things that are happening right now. And our community needs to be aware of it. And listen, if you're not in the part of the Ogden community, these conversations should be happening in your area. And if they're not, maybe you can make them happen because there's going to be some progress happening with what Miss Betty and a few other people are doing to have these conversations. So what they're actually doing is they're having a monthly meeting 
with the mayor of Ogden and the police chief. And they're just trying to come to uh, help them understand what their communities are going through and how they are feeling uh, during this time of, of great unrest and how they are feeling that the police uh, are affecting uh, their community, how they're helping their community, how they're not helping their community, how they can improve. And it's really interesting because it's two people coming together, or two groups of people coming together that don't know much about what the other person is really experiencing. And so it's hard conversations. And it requires people um, like the mayor and the police chief to acknowledge that they don't know what they don't know. And I think this is going to be the hardest part of this conversation. In order to come to the table and say, I'm here, I'm listening, I don't know what I don't know, help me understand. And then at the same token, uh, Miss Betty and, and Susie and uh, we're, we're going to have Malik on in the future and maybe Alicia. There's some other people involved in these meetings uh, to, to, for them to say, you know what? I don't know a lot about policing, but I know my community feels pain and I, I see uh, how we are we are being affected, how we're being disproportionately affected. And you may not understand it, but we feel it. And so for those two sides to come together and make progress is a, is a hard thing. It's hard for both sides to do that. And this is the kind of hard work that needs to be done in our communities to make a difference. So I really wanted to highlight these meetings. I'm gonna, we're gonna highlight them going forward as well so that we can see the kind of progress that can be made and that might be made if uh, we keep at it and if we listen because right now at this time, Groups like the NAACP, uh, groups like uh, that are involved in police reform, need a seat at the table. These uh, our communities of color need a seat at the table to help those feel, uh, those in charge, those making policies feel and understand what they are feeling, and hear them about how they believe we can make positive changes. So. I look forward to you guys listening and, and, and learning as I did from some of this conversation, and we will continue to highlight it as we go forward. And we are going to have uh, Dr. McKay, because I know I promised you guys that last episode. Uh, we had some scheduling conflicts. Uh, we do hope to have Dr. McKay on in the future to finish our conversation uh, about uh, the Native American community uh, and about the history of Native Americans and the history of, of reservations. Uh, so we are going to have that conversation sometime in the future, so you can look forward to that. But now, uh, without further ado, Miss Betty and Susie. Look how far we don't came, we made it to this land to surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a bride. Spread the word, let it be known the heaven set to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. Well, hey, welcome to the show, Miss Betty and Susie. It's so great to have you guys on. Miss Betty, how, how's your day going today? Uh, it's been a long day, but it's been great. You know, I try to relax, but end up catching up on things I didn't get done last week, but it's all good. All right. All right. And Susie, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Miss Betty, uh, the listeners just got an opportunity to hear uh, that awesome bio that apparently you trimmed down a lot of. <laughs> um, and so you've done, a, you've done a lot in your life and uh, a lot of advocating and there are probably some listeners because of the historic movement that's going on right now. There's probably a lot of listeners that are thinking to themselves, how do I get involved? What should I do? What is it? What's that going to be like? Maybe you could share with us, think back to uh, 
uh, the first time you were thinking about and seeing inequities and seeing injustice and seeing and thinking about getting involved, what was the first thing that you did to get involved and what was it like for you? Uh, my history goes back a long way. My mom was a civil rights worker. She was the NAACP president. And so my initial engagement was being drug along. Not that I wanted to go, I didn't have a choice. And so after you know living that kind of life, when I left to go to college, I had the opportunity to really get involved and engage on campus life and issues that were going on. And so uh, one of my first efforts were helping uh, the Mitchell brothers, uh, Perrin uh, Mitchell and Clarence Mitchell, uh, Perrin ended up being a congressperson, but helping them on their campaigns. And although I was just stuffing envelopes and things of that nature, it was so exciting just being around the buzz of a campaign that I really liked that and, and, and was turned on to the, uh, the option or the opportunity to make a difference on that level. So this, uh, this sort of work, it, it runs in your veins. It does. I try to run from it, but I keep getting drawn back. And Susie, uh, you know, I don't know a ton about your background, but I do know that um, you have been kind of involved in um, advocating for a while. I, I only know that because um, we had our podcast about Giovanni Mercado's uh, death. And I went back and watched the city council meeting um, where they spoke about that. And uh, lo and behold, who did I see? And it was Susie up there speaking and, and advocating. And, you know, this is before um, this sort of reckoning was really taking place. So uh, you've been kind of in this work uh, before it was Vogue as well. Uh, tell us about how you, how you got involved. Well, um, I guess for me, it really hit home with the um, Patrick Harmon shooting, which was in August of um, 2017, I believe. And that's what really I, then that happened in Salt Lake. And going and watching the video of that, of course, I was aware of the other shootings that had been going on nationwide and just, you know, didn't really know what to think about it. And, um, it just sort of grew and grew. And then when that one happened right here in my own backyard in Salt Lake City, and I watched the video and then realized that Mr. Harmon had been pulled over because he didn't have a reflector on the back of his bike and he ended up dead. And so that just, you know, that really opened my eyes. And that's when I joined the Black Lives Matter movement here in Salt Lake. And then eventually one was formed in Ogden. And just in those last three years, trying to figure out where I fit and where I could do the most work and, and use my talents, I guess, um, very limited talents, which is what was hard and everything else I've been involved in, I felt more comfortable that this was a challenge for me, but really, really very important. So it was nice to, um, I've known Miss Betty for many years and we've worked together on different, um, on different, uh, Oh, help me out here, Miss Betty, on different um, projects, <laughs> causes, yeah, dinners, activities, all, all kinds of things. And um, so when I started attending the NAACP meetings, I felt, you know, I felt like this is this is good. This is where I feel like there's some important work being done. It's always been an integrated um, organization. And Miss Betty's been so wonderful, it's just so lovely and generous with her time and um, helping me feel welcome. And so 
um, I guess that's where I landed and that's where I'm, I'm working today. Uh, still part of Black Lives Matter and, and, and really feel strongly about that, but. And Susie kind of has a unique position because she lives in Salt Lake City, but she owns and uh, runs a coffee shop here in Ogden. Uh, so she's kind of uh, involved in both communities. But uh, Susie, tell me, what what was that like when you were, you know, I, I, when did you walk into your first Black Lives Matter meeting? And how did that feel? And what were you, were you nervous about it? Was it outside your comfort zone? Or was is this just sort of your wheelhouse thing? <laughs> no, it was very uncomfortable. I went by myself um, because I just really wasn't sure what to make of it. And I'll never forget Lux Scott. Uh, I absolutely love her. She's the leader. And I walked in and basically they, you know, she, she didn't really say put it this way, but it was very clear that if you were white and you were at that meeting, you were to sit down, shut up and listen. And I really liked that. And it, it allowed me to learn. And, um, you know, we're not often told that. And so it, it reminded me that I knew very, very little. And I knew that going in. But um, it that was great. And so that's what I've done for the last three years. I've just, just tried to absorb as much as I possibly can. And there is just a wealth of information out there um, in any, you know, any area of racism or uh, racial injustice or police brutality or poverty or um, just any kind of inequality like that. There's a wealth of information out there that you can just glean and educate yourself. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and I think that's what most people should do. That's where they should start is with education. I, I bet in a strange way when you walked into that meeting and they um, told you that, in a strange way that probably made you more comfortable. You were like, Oh, good. Like I can just yeah. sit back and I can listen. And, and, um, and cause that's probably what you intended to do anyway. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I it sounds like a, a really great experience. Um, so Miss Betty, um, tell me, give me, let's say one of our listeners out there. I mean, we've heard of the NAACP, um, for, I mean, this is an organization that's very old, uh, has been involved for a very long time. But if somebody doesn't know what the NAACP does, uh, tell us what, give us, give us kind of the rundown of what the NAACP does, and then we'll talk more about what you're doing locally here. Okay, NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the nation's oldest civil rights organization and it was established in 1909 in response to the abolitionist movement and anti-lynching uh, movements in the North and the East and the South as well. And so as Susie said, it's always been integrated. Our founders were from all backgrounds, ethnic and racial backgrounds that came together in Niagara to form this organization. And uh, since then, we continue to work on education, you know, economic development, housing, uh, criminal justice, all of those things to bring about equity and equality and justice and fairness. And we continue to do that today. We have chapters all over the country and the world. We have college chapters, we have youth chapters, and it's just an opportunity for us to come together, work on common issues to bring about what our founding fathers put in that constitution about having those inalienable rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, 
equality and justice. And we know from our history that those things were not afforded to blacks. And so uh, the NAACP continues to work today, 111 years old, continues wow. to work. You would think we would work ourselves out of business by now, but unfortunately that's not the case. And the work is even more uh, relevant and important today. But again, bringing people from all walks of life together to make sure that we are living out uh, what we said we're all about, those things that we champion to the world to make sure we're doing those things right here at home. So you've been about this, um, uh, the bulk of your, your, your whole life, so actually, not the bulk of your whole life, your whole life, you've been about this. And uh, so tell me, wh what do you feel like, you know, locally here have been some of the accomplishments of the NAACP that people could, could say, oh yeah, that, that was the work of people, uh, you know, advocating and working. This is not, this is not something that appeared. This is, this is the, this is the work of people working in an organization to make change. Some of our earliest work was just around getting uh, black educators hired in our Ogden and Davis uh, school systems. Uh, folk came here with degrees, but couldn't get jobs. So the NAACP had to work to make sure that we opened those doors of opportunity for, for blacks in the state of Utah. Uh, issues around housing, the NAACP here has been very involved you know, we hear about redlining on a national level, but, you know, we had that going on in the state of Utah and here in Ogden. You know, if you talk to people, the majority of Black folk used to live in West Ogden and below Washington Boulevard, and it wasn't by accident. And so the NAACP had to work to open up housing and financing to allow people to even get loans uh, to get mortgages and live above Washington and in North Ogden and in Washington Terrace. Uh, Mr. James Gillespie, who was our president for 33 years and he's passed away since, but he, his home was even bombed, bombs in his mailbox and things of that nature that they had to go through in those 40s and 50s and 60s before I ever showed up in the state of Utah just to open up those doors of opportunity for everyone and, and since I've been here uh, working with education still, I remember uh, getting a call one morning and someone out in Layton said they rode by one of our schools and they had a sign said, "Ends go home, you're not welcome here, kind of thing. And so we go out to the school, end up having a great conversation with the principal and other school administrators and by the end of that conversation, they agreed that they had work to do and began working and establish uh, some cultural enrichment programs that they're still doing today. But those are some of the things that we get involved with. Wow, that's a, a, a lot of work. And uh, yeah, again, I, I think our, our neighborhoods, um, like you said, they, they it was work that took them to get them to look the way they, they do today. And there's still work to be done. And, in, in those areas. But um, tell me, uh, uh, you guys are involved right now in, in some, some really important work around police reform. And I know that you are uh, having these monthly meetings uh, with Mayor Caldwell and Chief Watt. Tell me, um, uh, how did those get started? And, and yeah, tell me how that got started. 
uh, for the most part, with everything that was going on, you know, there was movement in the Salt Lake community and we were waiting to hear our city leaders uh, stand up and say, yes, black lives do matter. We're still kind of waiting uh, on the side, but uh, we reached out from the NAACP to our police chief and said, we need to come together, we need to talk. And they said, yes, let's do that. And so we began meeting with them and um, progress so far has been slow, but uh, it's progress. And we could talk about that more, but it was just the fact that we know that we have issues in our community. And even if we didn't, this is a time for us to be introspective, self-reflective and see, can we do things better? Are there things we could do differently, whether we have a problem or not, not to assume that we're perfect and we're the best and we have it all together, but all of us need to take time, you know, just like any workplace, you do evaluations, you know, you do strategic planning, you do those things to make sure that you're staying on top of issues and being the best that you can be. And so that's how we went to our city leadership, you know, to say, look, let's take a look at what we're doing and how we're doing it. And are there ways that we can improve? And, and Susie, you, you've been in these meetings. Uh, a couple of questions, just kind of give us some context of what, of what they're like. Who else is involved and how many have you had? Um, and, and what was the agenda for the first one? Um, well, I think it really kind of started out of um, the, well, it wasn't, we can't really discuss Giovanni's shooting, but it was really, I think the city got kind of tired of, of uh, everybody coming to the city council meeting, you know, week after week after week. And, and um, so I think when Miss Betty reached out and asked for those conversations, they were probably like pretty happy to say, okay, good, let's get it off our, you know, city council meetings and get them into something more private. Um, the first meeting we uh, chose to cover the eight can't wait, um, which were eight things that uh, came out of um, the, what's the campaign, campaign, campaign zero. zero, right. Um, and there are eight things that didn't require any legislative action. They don't require any funding, um, things that can be done really quickly um, to help bring about greater safety among police officers as well as citizens. And um, I think, you know, that that's what we tried. That's what we we had a PowerPoint to try to cover. Um, we got onto the second one and then that one got kind of commandeered with some information that the chief really wanted to cover, which is what he had already covered in a city council meeting. So we we're all pretty familiar with it. That was a little frustrating yeah. that we needed to spend our time um, talking about that. But yeah, um, we, we've actually, um, we, we had Jakari Kelly on, on the podcast and um, she was, she was in that, she was in that meeting as well. And, and extremely, fr extremely frustrated. So uh, if, if you go back and listen to the one with Jakari Kelly listeners and uh, because we hit those, we hit those eight can't wait uh, a bunch of those. Um, and the frustration that was, was definitely involved with, uh, that meeting and the, the chief of police not uh, really being there to listen, but more to talk, it sounded like. Um, and so, so um, Jakari is from Black Lives Matter. So who, who, else, who else is involved in, these, in this setting? Just give us a little context, Susie. Well, it started with, the, with um, Malik Dio 
and Miss Betty, Jakari, Alicia Washington, and myself, but we've expanded it. Um, we've made it more broad since then um, to include our diversity commission and um, also some other uh, people that Miss Betty has worked with before on, you know, for civil rights work. Um, and and how many months, how many meetings have we, uh, we do, we do, so one, had, we do one a month and we, you're at how many? We've had three. We just had our third one. You just had your third one and we're looking to do this monthly. And one of our ideas was, was to have you guys on us to discuss about what's, what's happening in these meetings so that we can um, talk about uh, how they're going and what we're going to, we're going to ask for in the future. And also uh, so that we can get this out to the public and the public can say, okay, um, Mayor Caldwell and Chief Lott, we asked, we asked five questions last time and we're expecting answers. We want, we want the answers. Um, so we're going to get to those questions that we're going to ask in the next meeting. But uh, tell how the, the, the last meeting, what, what happened in the last meeting? So we, we've gone through, we kind of went through, eight. Hey, can't wait. Go listen to Jakari's episode about that one. Um, how, what, was, what was talked about at the last one so that we can maybe uh, um, think about what we're, we're going to see in the future? Do you want to take that, Ms. Betty? Sure. One of, one of the things that we asked for uh, in the second meeting uh, was, again, how can we engage community and as uh, civilian review boards and if they would be willing to even explore those possibilities. Uh, so what about bringing people together to research different models of community engagement in policing that bring about transparency and accountability and those things? And so the police chief agreed to engage in that process with us and said, yes, and, and I'll give you a couple of officers to be on that task force kind of with you to do some of that research and review. And at that point, uh, they also reached out to our diversity commission, of which I'm a member as well, and wanted us to work with the diversity commission as well. And so uh, that was a part of our conversation following up on that to pursue that. And then wanting to look at issues around de-escalation and having that conversation uh, training that our officers were getting in different areas and what that looked like and uh, how and whether or not uh, they felt that training was adequate in different areas. We talked about implicit bias training as well with officers. And Susie, have they, you can ask Susie, have, have they had any, have they had any recent implicit bias training and um, was that discussed? They did have a, um, there was a woman that the chief was, had heard at prior at another conference that he brought in, and I hope I'm getting her name right. It is um, Loretta Flowers, or is it Loretta Summer? Loretta Flowers, I believe. Anyway, um, so the city personnel were involved in that, all of the officers and the chief and the, um, you know, administrative part of the police uh, department, police agency, all participated in it. And so we were really excited to hear how that went. We knew that was going to be happening from the second meeting. So in the third meeting, we wanted to hear, you know, uh, how that went and, and what types of changes it might um, bring about from, from what they learned. 
And um, it was interesting. I, I was a little disappointed, honestly, because I think there's no question the reason that we're there and the reason that there is a need for police reform, or, uh, you know, when you're talking about implicit bias, it obviously uh, centers around race and how we um, definitely see people of a different race uh, in a different light. And um, we make these split second decisions and how we need to really re-educate our brains to react differently. And um, in going around and asking the mayor and the police chief and some other people that attended, nobody ever, not one person mentioned race as a, a topic that they discussed or a topic that they were, uh, you know, immersed in. Or wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so, so they had implicit bias training. They then are meeting with the NAACP and Black Lives Matter. And uh, they didn't bring up the fact that uh, in this implicit bias training, they may have, uh, they didn't bring up race uh, at all. It wasn't yeah. mentioned. <laughs> and Image Day Northern Utah, we invited them to uh, be a part of our group as we expanded. And, and the basic takeaway from, from those that were sharing was everybody has bias. What, what was it about? I mean, what's the implicit bias training about if, when they were talking with the police if it's not about race? We don't know. We weren't allowed to attend. Um, her uh, curriculum is private. She, it's proprietary. She won't share that. Um, we're, we're at, we don't know. We really don't know. Did, did they, did they give you any ideas? Like, like, are they talking about, um, uh, ageism or everybody has some implicit bias. That's, That's what, it. that was my takeaway. That was it. The mayor That's was very, the, the mayor was, um, really, he kept repeating that what he learned and what he really, you know, his takeaway was that it's not us against them. It's not us against them. He must have said that three or four or five times. And I'm not sure what he meant by that. I would, you know, like to know more. Um, I guess I, you know, in a way, like, I kind of get it. Uh, you know, it's, I think as the mayor and the police chief, they're, these, to have a conversation and come out and like, you're there in this meeting, uh, to have a conversation about race is probably hard and intimidating because they don't, know what they don't know and they don't want to look weak and scared and, and afraid and um but we've got to get beyond that right like that's kind of what this show is about is us getting beyond that and and you know frankly when i started these things and still to this day i'm, I'm like we're having conversations about race and i'm certain i'm going to say things wrong and i'm certain i'm going to uh, reveal what i don't know um but that's okay it's, you know? it's definitely okay and we never we'll never make progress if we keep uh, shunning away from these conversations and def being deflective and not fully engaged. Uh, and that's why we're, you know, even an organization 111 years later, and it's like we're back in the 60s or 50s having these conversations all over again. It's very yeah, true. I think uh, if I could just interject for a second, I think the one thing that I have been made most aware of is the is how sheltered we are as white people. It does not affect us. 
And unless you go out and you seek that information and you really try to understand what it's like to live as a person of color in this country right now and lead, you know, for, for all time in history and, and what impact that has on life right now, you're not going to know. You're not going to have any idea what it's like. We are swimming in an ocean of whiteness. And if you're white, it's just normal. You don't know any difference. So it's really important to, to have these conversations and to admit that that this is new to you, but that you're, you know, you're you're willing to do the work and that it's um you know, it just it has to well, be done. Like Miss Betty said, you've got to have you know, the you've got to have the conversations. We did a hey, lot in the '60s. A lot was accomplished, but it wasn't finished. And that's the that's where we have to close. understand that the work continues. Yeah. Well, I commend you guys for going in there and having these conversations when uh, it probably doesn't feel like they necessarily want to be had. Um, and uh, so it, that's it's tough work. It, it, it's tough work. <laughs> And Kevin, the other part of that, for some reason, you know, the assumption is that that's easy for me as well. You know, it's just hard for you. No, it's difficult for me. This is my lived experience. You know, family, friends, coworkers, you know, we've gone through things. So it's not an easy conversation for me too. Just because I'm black doesn't make it easy. Oftentimes it makes it more difficult because I have to do those, um, mental calisthenics before I even entered the room to allow me to have a conversation in a certain way because we are constantly having to, for lack of a better term, uh, police ourselves to make sure that other people are comfortable with how we say it, when we say it, the way we say it. That's work, <laughs> you know? I shouldn't have to even go through all of that just to sit down and have a conversation but I do each and every day all the time. Wow. Thank, thank you for sharing that. I think that really gives us uh, a little bit of perspective that like, yeah, these, these conversations are hard. They're hard both ways. And um, so again, that's just, that's just really great work you're doing. Um, Susie, you sent me a, a list of questions that you guys are, are anticipating asking um, in the, in the next, um, in the next meeting. And I was just going to kind of do a rundown of some of those Um uh, of those asks so we can get them out there and you guys can explain a little bit of what that is. Uh, and so maybe we can, uh, hopefully get some answers, um, the next time we do a, a show about this, uh, about this topic. So, uh, the first one you mentioned, um, that there was an employee satisfaction survey that was done. It's called the, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, what was that and what exactly are you asking for? Susie? Um, we are, it was a survey that was done um, that by the police department, you know, all of the statistics that we've gotten um, from the police department, from the, um, what the chief presented before the city council and what's in his press release, you know, it's, you can spin numbers so many different ways and it just paints a completely different picture than what we see than what, um, you know, I can't say personally I experience, but I know that people of color experience it very differently. And so we really wanted to dig in and see um, some of the information that he hasn't presented to us. So that's what the Berkshire Hathaway um, employee and satisfaction is. So is this, is this, a, this is a employee satisfaction. This is something that the a survey that the police officers themselves have taken about the satisfaction of their job. 
You know, Kevin, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Miss Betty might have a little better understanding. I'm not, I, it's not something we just know of it. And um, so since it hasn't been brought up or hasn't been presented anywhere else, we'd like to see it. It was funded from taxpayer dollars. And so it should be public information. Um, and I think that it would give us a different perspective. I, I think um, we don't know for sure, but we won't, would like to see. From the name of it, that's what it sounds a little bit like. But Miss Betty, do you have any any insight into that? Uh, not much more, other than uh, from our understanding, it was the officers themselves uh, sharing their feedback, as well as you know their uh, perceptions and things of that nature. One of the things that we we did moving forward is just trying to get some background information. Uh, Dr. Monica Williams up at uh, Weber State did a few uh, help the police department do a couple of research studies. And so we've had access to that to take a look at uh, some of the feedback from residents in different parts of our community. So we're trying to get a good picture and understanding of just what's going on inside and out. Yeah, it seems like that could be useful. I mean, we know uh, just from conversations we've had uh, with, with uh, police officers, I know I have a friend on the force and uh, that there may be uh, some culture problems uh, within the force uh, where they feel like they can't uh, speak out, where they can't, you know, so it, I think a, the, the employee satisfaction survey, uh, for one, they, I know they get, they've, they're grossly underpaid compared to the state. And um, so that may, uh, there, there's, some, there's got, there's good information in there. It's funded by tax taxpayers. Like uh, we should have, we should have access to that. And we need to know how our police officers feel about their job. That's, that's important information, right? It definitely is. How can we, again, make those conditions better for them you know absolutely together we want every we want them to be their best selves doing this critical work to support our community's safety and well-being and so yes yeah and so that does seem like important information i hope i hope we get that i hope we get that out uh susie did you have something to add there i was just going to say and it's not as though we are well versed in public safety or uh policing. So we're trying to educate ourselves as well in what we're asking for. I mean, I think that it, we're trying to improve our reputation with the police off with the police force and chief. And, um, you know, we just want to educate ourselves as much as boy, possible. Boy, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because here it is. It's like, <laughs> it's like we did, we talked a little bit about how, you know, uh, Mayor Caldwell or or Chief Watt may not know how to necessarily talk about race because, frankly, it, most of us don't, and it's hard, and um, and and so they don't know what they don't know, and at the same time, you guys don't necessarily know what you don't know about police either, and so you're you're coming to the table and saying, hey, we don't know what we don't know, to educate us, and we'll educate you, and and like let's 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 work on this together. Um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there. And I think you guys are do up to some important stuff. So number two on your list here was um, um, action reviews uh, for all use of force. Uh, there's two years of data um, that, that we can get from, from them on all of our use of force. Apparently there's, there's more data that we can get uh, and about use of force out there and that we don't have access to necessarily. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the IA Pro, from what I understand, is a software that the police department uses to um, log and track uh, use of force by police officers. And um, so we, it's a way, I think, that you could see any trends with particular officers or particular um, types of calls. 
Um, again, we're just trying to see if there isn't a pattern that we can illustrate because we're all we're getting from the chief is that everything's great. They de-escalate 95.9 or whatever. 99. 99.5% no, 99. of their um, calls are de-escalated. Uh, Which we never have context hand, for. Is that good? We don't know. Like, is that good? Like, how do we, is that compare to other, to other police? Uh, well, there've been six fatalities. And so that's another bit of information that we would like to see. We'd like all the information around the, the body cam footage. And yeah, that's the third question I have on the list here, which blew my mind. It says uh, that you guys are asking for all the reports and body cam footage pertaining to the six fatal OPD shootings between January 1st, 2018 and August 31st, 2019. Um, so there's, there's been six fatalities and we, we don't have all of the body cam footage from those or that hasn't, that, that hasn't been released. Not to our knowledge. Uh, there have been pieces here and there, but not a comprehensive look so that we could again, take a comprehensive look at that information and see if there's something that, uh, may be meaningful and helpful and again, strengthening what we have to offer in public safety. And uh, we're gonna just kind of run through a couple more of these asks. Um, I know that uh, the Salt Lake City PD, uh, you know, because they are implementing changes, the police force doesn't necessarily like it. Uh, and apparently we have got some transfers coming down to Ogden. Uh, we wanna know about those police officers, mm -hmm. you know, what are their backgrounds? Um, if they're not willing to make change in Salt Lake, do we necessarily want them on our force? We need, we'd like some information about them. I think that's a great question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So how did you guys ask that? Or yes, you're going to. <laughs> we're going, yeah. that's, that's on the new list. You know, and, and when you look at the history of policing in our country, you know, it's, it's, it started out as, as an enslavement, you know, runaway slaves, you know catching them and doing those things. And, and we know that there are cultural shifts and, and a certain culture in policing. And so in order for us to be able to make those changes or see where we may not need to make changes, okay? They could be perfect, I don't know. That's not my perception, but it could be perfect. But if we don't have information, if we aren't able to, to enter this relationship with transparency, you know, then it makes it very difficult to build trust, to build a platform to move forward. And so that's why we are definitely trying to get more information. Yeah, and, and, so, and the, the last one on the list here was um, uh, trying to get a copy of the standard operating procedures and policies. Uh, and, and this is actually really important. We heard from Dave Timmerman, retired Salt Lake City police officer, um, a, on the, the episode with Ruby Mercado. And he talked about how it'd be one of the first things if he was in charge of the police uh, department here in Ogden, that'd be one of the first things he did was what are the policies? What are the standing oper standard operating procedures? We know there are in other uh, police, um, police departments around the country, there are these rules about after a shooting, uh, you can't interview within 48 hours, uh, the officer involved, uh, do we have any of those policies? Uh, because we know those are not good. We know that, um, uh, so we need to, and we don't have access to any of that information. Like what are the policies? How, how do they um, interview those police officers after a shooting or after use of force? And uh, we don't, we're simply blind to what, what that information is. 
And I think one of, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Susie. I was just going to say one of the things that has come out because this is a, a national push on police reform, some of the things that have come out um, for people like us that aren't really super um, aware of, of police policy, like you were mentioning that um, police officers do have 48 hours very often and they oftentimes have access to the report the body cam footage, um, any interviews that were taken. So you can't tell me that they don't have an ability to craft a story that is going to exonerate them. And 99% of the time they are exonerated. So it's not, it's if the officer's making a mistake and then has all of this information to bail himself out or herself out and you know, they don't learn from it. And I, I, it just repeats itself. And so they have one thing that's definitely changed in policing over the years is it's, it's really become a warrior mentality. There's an us against them kind of notion, um, which again, takes me back to the mayor's comments about the um, implicit bias training, but we really want a guardian mentality. We want, we want Police officers, uh, I don't know if they've ever had that mentality, but, you know, where, uh, you know, the, the officer on the beat that knows everybody in the neighborhood and, and all of the kids know his name and he knows all the kids. And it's just a it's somebody that you really want to call when you're in trouble. And right now there's so much distrust in the in the um, law enforcement it, among certain communities it's not widespread i would i would agree with the chief that probably the majority of ogden citizens are happy with their policing policy and the way they manage public safety but and we're not fighting for a hundred percent of the citizens we're really going to work for those um, minorities that are treated differently, that are policed differently. And that's, um, you know, there's, if, if anybody's read the new Jim Crow, that's a, it's a wonderful illustration story after story after story on what can happen when you're not white in this country and you encounter police. And, and one of the challenges with that uh, statistics show that after any of these incidents, our black community and our brown community call 911 less. So even if we need help, we're reluctant to call because we're not sure how we will be treated or we'll walk away at all. And so um, being able to, again, the transparency, the accountability, and hopefully changing that culture and having a conversation about the culture of policing you know, the militarization of policing in our country. It's real, it's true. And, and we get those weapons in Utah also. Wow, guys, uh, great, great uh, work you're doing. Uh, and like I said, like we've, like we've talked about, uh, it's, it's uncomfortable work uh, and it's hard work. And uh, we're gonna have uh, Malik Dio on after, uh, for the next conversation. Um, after you guys uh, meet and, and, and ask these questions. And we hope that uh, we will get some, some responses back so that we can hear how that meeting went. I mean, I guess it might be even further down the road before we hear if we get answers to those specific questions, but um, we hope to keep this going, whether it will have you guys back on, whether we have Malik back on, Alicia, uh, all the people that are in, involved in those meetings so that we can continue to continue this work and continue to follow it up. 
Miss Betty, tell us, you know, there's a lot of people right now. This is in the forefront of, of everybody's mind. If we want to get involved, how do we do it? What should we do? Okay, first we invite you to join the NAACP, Ogden NAACP Branch 1126. And it's a small investment uh, to join is $30 uh, to, for an annual membership. And you can become a life member like Susie and myself by investing a little more. We meet on a monthly basis, the second Monday of every month at, at six o'clock. We have virtual meetings, we have committees, and, and we invite people to come and find their niche. What are those things that you're passionate about and working in that area? And, and it is an equal opportunity organization. And so we cast a wide net and a big tent. And, and we're, we're encouraged with all of the things that have been going on with our response to uh, Black lives and the importance of us addressing those issues that more people are joining all the time. So, so we're encouraged by that because it's not just Black people's issue, it's all of our issue. The safety of our community is all of our issue because when one suffers, we all suffer. It affects us whether we think so or not. There's an African proverb that says, I am because we are, and because we are, therefore I am. We are interconnected. So it's not a us and them, it's a we. And so we're done dying. We're, we're done, you know, being treated as second-class citizens. And the NAACP provides an opportunity for us not to just address policing, but education. There's inequities across the board. And so we have a unique opportunity to stand together and work together right now. Absolutely. And I was just going to bring that up. You know, we focused a lot on police reform in this uh, episode. However, the NAACP, as you talked about earlier, has, has done some really important work around many other issues and will continue to do it. Uh, Susie, tell, uh, give somebody who is on that edge and, and wants to get involved, but is a little bit nervous. Um, how do they, how did, how did you do it? How did you, how did you get yourself out of your comfort zone? Well, one thing that I think we're going to focus on, um, part of my work with the NAACP, my committee is membership. And um, I really see that closely tied with education because I think when you join an organization like this, especially as a white person, um, you, need, uh, I, you need to have access to information that's, that's reliable and, and accurate. And we, I'd really like to build a repository of book titles and documentaries and podcasts and all kinds of things so that when you become a member, um, we can open all of that up to you. And then not only that, but you'll have a, a community of pe like-minded people that you can have conversations with. And, and I'd love to see us expand our education um, uh, you know, kind of the road that I'm on right now and, and how I'm becoming more enlightened and understanding. And it's just, it's so vast and so huge. I just, I, I read something or listen to something every single day and I never get tired of it. And I think that we, you know, we just have so much work to do. We're so far behind in this work. And, um, you know, there's so much to gain. We, there's just so much black excellence out there that 
is being stifled and we're missing out. We're missing out. We could have a much richer uh, society with um, elevating these voices and, and these cultures that it just, it needs to happen. We're, we're just, we're way behind the curve on it. Absolutely. So jump in, both feet. Don't feel bad. You know, just there's nobody more warm and inviting than Miss Betty, and she will always make you feel comfortable. And if you have any questions at all, I'm more than happy to help. And it, we just the the shooting of of George Floyd has really flooded our membership uh, across the nation. I, I try to get questions answered regarding membership with the national, and they're so busy. So that's a, you know, whether that's good or bad, but, um, you know, people are really, it's a really a movement now. It's a, it's not just, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. This is a groundswell. And if you have, if you ever wondered like, what would I do had I lived through the sixties, if I were older, I was, I was quite young during the sixties. So I wasn't involved, but if you've ever asked yourself that question, this is the sixties again, It is, and it's yes. time. It is time to do the work. It is not it done. Is. It is time to get involved. Go ahead, Miss Betty. When, yeah, and when you look back, you know, where was I? What was I doing? You know, I, I remember being in an auditorium as a little girl listening to Dr. King speak, okay? And then later being one of 10 students that integrated my local high school and then being able to go to the big city to go to college. And it's a journey. But one of the things I was listening is, Susie, I'm educating myself because from the seventh grade until the 12th grade, I was in a predominantly white high school. I didn't get black history there. If it wasn't for my parents and siblings teaching me and me discovering on my own, I would be totally lost. So I'm learning as well. I'm learning new things every day because we still don't teach black history. <laughs> Rosa Parks sure. and MLK and Sojourner and Harriet Tubman, that is not Black history, okay? Mm -hmm. We don't talk about the fact that Blacks fought in every war in this country and out of this country on behalf of this country. We don't talk about land purchase. We don't talk about so much that we're learning, but this is a part of this journey that we need to take together to make sure we don't repeat this, that we don't get stuck in the mud with the us and them but saying we the people. Well, Miss Betty, we are definitely going to have you back on because I want to hear that story. I want to hear that story <laughs> of, of you growing up and, and hearing, hearing Martin Luther King Jr. and, uh, and growing up. And, and I, want to hear, I want to hear that story. And you guys are right. Uh, education is power. And uh, will it, it's also a motivator. Uh, I am, and speaking of not getting uh, Black history uh, in our schools here, I, I'm currently what I'm doing. For one, I've joined the NAACP. Did that back in March. Um, two, uh, right now I'm reading a book called *The Warmth of Other Suns*. It's about uh, it follows three three families through the Great Migration. The Great Migration. Uh, that's a topic I did not know anything really about uh, about what motivated it, what drove it. Um, and how vast it was and the experiences there. Um, so that's a, that's, that's a book you guys uh, or you listeners out there could, could check out. But again, thank you guys. Thank you all so much for coming out. 
uh, and, and coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Great conversation. And, and Miss Betty, uh, if, if you'd be so kind, we want to have you back because I want to hear that personal story. Uh, Community Spread is really about personal stories and people's journeys. And, and thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And we know that communication and information are power and being able to have good sources of information is so critical to what's going on right now. And so I appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. And I Thank appreciate you. it too, Kevin. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, featuring these meetings that we're having with the chief and the mayor, because I think, you know, we're at the very beginning stages. And like you said, this is so hard and we're just going to keep going together. We're going to, we're going to get through this. And I know that we're going to make some great, some great changes. Okay. Thank you so much. I hope to see you guys soon as we uh, keep, keep on the work with the NAACP. Yeah. And thanks everybody for listening. That's a wrap for our show. Hey, if you like what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, send this episode, go back, find your favorite episode and send it to a friend. We'd like more people to hear and understand these important conversations. We've got really great ones coming up in the future. Uh, Also, don't forget, if you're one of those people that just got referred by a friend, smash that subscribe button and go rate us on iTunes. That stuff really helps us. Um, Thank you so much for listening. You guys have a great night. Don't let me get in these facts. I did. The government's supplying the people crack for chip. Brainwashing and folks, every single cat's asleep. Though that Jim Crow side effect trapped in a mind state. And it seemed like we had a peak of the crime rate. My brothers, yo, listen. Our sisters go missing. And we down on the deli. Some kill for the dime sake. I'd rather tell the truth while kicking this rhyme straight. Half the people illiterate. Can't read or write. Try to enlighten them. They tell you we don't need your life. See how early we leave college. Straight up to the gig. We don't get the graduate. We got trade up to the league. We no second plan. Hoping we got it made into a gig. We need more doctors and lawyers, politicians and that. If you feel this in your heart, then I'm probably kicking the fat to shade. And they talk through your power and shout head. Everybody's dead broken and poverty shout sweat. I leave the everyday life based on mad wishes. The only jobs they have was provided by bad bitches. They'd rather get some brain than law that broad knowledge. Can't pay back selling me, and we can't afford college. Around here, the stake is always high, so they ban screaming, fuck the law. They'd rather leave and die for their gangs. They got nothing to lose, but they sick with hate. Mad at the world, we got a bone to peak with fate. So, white privilege. For the kids to the slave master We were left for dead design to hit the great faster It's a setup, And we ain't meant to survive Look how far we don't came We made it to this length of surprise Though the prophecy says we all been to a bride Spread the word, let it be known The heavens had to survive Right here, live in the flesh That's real Americans said we gotta get up <laughs> Volume 1